Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. If you um, had a higher fruit intake in particular, so fruit more than vegetable, mm. you actually had a decreased risk of developing endometriosis. Wow. And this study, to me, is so important because I think that we've become quite scared of eating fruit. Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast with me, Dr. Rupi. Today, we're going to be talking with one of my favourites for the podcast, Anita Mitra, who's a gynaecologist uh, a lifestyle medicine advocate. She also has her own book out now. It's called The Gyne Geek, Your No-Nonsense Guide to Down There Healthcare. It's absolutely fantastic. It's actually a collection of patient anecdotes, questions that she often gets asked in clinic. Essentially, Anita is the gynecologist, the women's health specialist that everyone wishes they had. She is just incredible. And you'll know from the previous podcast where we've talked about polyphenols and yoga and all these different sorts of lifestyle features that are really important for all being, she is an absolute wealth of information. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about what endometriosis actually is, why you should avoid things like colonic irrigation. I can't believe people are still having that. The importance of drinking water, eating fiber, and why pooing properly actually has a very important place when it comes to women's health. The importance of estrogen and what estrogen does in your body and what can happen if we have estrogen dominance, exercise, fruit, and why fruit actually has a bad reputation, where actually it's one of the best things you can do to put into your diet and why we shouldn't be neglecting it. You're going to love this episode. Let's get into it. Anita, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me for the hat trick. <laughs> the hat trick, I know. You're the first person to complete the hat trick. I know. It's How like privileged the doctor's you? kitchen challenge. Ka-ching. Yeah, and you're looking very bright and sprightly today. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want to explain why? <laughs> yeah, well, um, so if you haven't listened to our last podcast, it was about PCOS um, and eating for PCOS. And I had a really, really nice message from a lovely um, girl at Bobby Brown called um, Zara, who kindly offered to do my makeup. So hey, Zara. Took her up on the offer and I think she's really nailed it. So She has uh, nailed it. You look very nice. Not <laughs> to say you don't you. look nice all the time, but um, she extra. She had her work cut out this morning, let's just <laughs> say that. I was quite tired and I've had <laughs> teaspoons on my eyelids this morning. <laughs> And what, why have you got the makeup done today? Because you've got some exciting stuff that you yeah, do. Yeah, so I'm shooting some video content um, this afternoon for my book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's pretty exciting. So lots I'm of things going on so, in the Gardegate so world. Excited. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, uh, the way I describe you is the women's health doctor that every woman wished that she had. 
That's oh, literally how you, I, and that's the feedback that I get. It's not me actually. It's not me saying that. It's just a lot of people like, oh, I wish you was my doctor, etc. So your patients are very lucky, but everyone can get access to you because we're going to be talking about lots of things today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the kind of reason for doing this whole gyne geek thing is just to kind of make all that information more accessible and uh, you know, as a conversation starter. So that's what we're here for. Absolutely. All right. So why don't we kick off by talking about uh, the different topics that we, we're, we're going to be discussing today. So uh, we're going to be talking about periods in general um, and endometriosis and fibroids. Why don't we talk about what is defined as a heavy period? How do we know that they're abnormal? Yeah, so I mean, the thing is, there's lots of different ways that you can define a heavy period. And I think it's important to just um, mention at this point that your period is the lining of the womb falling away. Um, so it happens usually every month and average bleeding would be about two to seven days. So we would say on average, an average period would be about 30 to 40 mils. But what does that actually mean? Mm. I mean, who actually sits there and measures it? Lots of people have uh, moon cups these days, so yeah. I think people are kind of getting into, in tune with how much they're bleeding. But the textbooks... Do the moon cups actually have, like, measuring amounts on them, though? Because how would you... Well, I think you know with the capacity of them. Right. Um, I haven't checked a moon cup lately, yeah. so I don't know. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you can kind of see how much is in, and they, they do say on the box the capacity. Yeah. Um, but anything over 80 mils is classified by the textbooks as being heavy bleeding. But I really like the definition by NICE, which is the National Institute for Health and Clinical... Um, uh, sorry. Oh, sorry. National Institute of Clinical... <laughs> National <laughs> Institute for Health and Care Excellence. Uh -huh. And they define um, heavy bleeding as excessive blood loss that interferes with a woman's physical, social, emotional and or quality of life. And I think that's the best definition that I've ever heard because... Mm heavy bleeding isn't going to be the same for everyone and everyone has kind of different expectations of, and different things that they will accept. Uh, so I really think that if you think that your period is very heavy and it's, it is affecting your life, then you should absolutely go and talk to someone. It doesn't matter whether you've worked out how many mils you're bleeding <laughs> per month. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's the really key thing to That's mention. a really key point because I think um, women will be different from person to person yeah. and what is defined as something that is disruptive to your daily life can be completely different mm. um, and I, that's why I really like that definition that you pulled up there yeah. and I think it's a lot more um, measurable or probably perhaps less measurable but it's, it's a lot more intuitive for the person the patient in front exactly. of you exactly it's just much more holistic and it's just saying that you know you, you don't have to be a textbook um, definition it's what's important to you mm. yeah. okay so now we've uh, uh, sort of define what uh, is a heavier period there are lots of different causes yeah absolutely um, so I mean I think one of the um, one of the really common causes is people who are having um, irregular periods or PCOS and that's something that we talked about a lot in our second uh, podcast that we did in series two so have a listen to that um, and that happens because if you're not having regular periods you've got longer for the lining to build up so there's more to fall away when it happens um, other common causes so things like endometrial polyps which is like a little skin tag in the lining of the womb that can be a cause also blood clotting disorders so if your body's not able to um, cause the blood flow to stop uh, then that can be an issue um, that tends to run in families often 
Um, also thyroid problems, generally having a low thyroid problem. Um, so that's something that your GP should be checking if you're, um, if you're presenting to them with heavy periods. Um, I think the copper coil is something a lot of people don't realise mm. also can make your periods heavier. It's a very trendy form of contraception these days mm. because lots of people want to um, avoid hormones. Um, but I've taken out quite a lot because people are like, God, this thing is causing my periods to be so heavy. And mm. I think that you know, we're not always necessarily so good at explaining that it can make them heavier. So I've if you've... definitely referred a lot, I yeah. think. Yeah, certainly as a GP, I'm noticing that, uh, and this is purely anecdotal, I'm not too sure about the uh, actual evidence behind this, but certainly women who have introduced the copper core because they want a more natural way mm-hmm. of... Uh, regulating, or, mm. sorry, uh, um, a natural form of contraception, um, having them removed because yeah. they just can't tolerate the side effects. Well, it's actually the commonest reason to have it removed before its expiry date. So we do know it's a big problem. And so if you do find that your periods are on the heavier side, I wouldn't go for it personally. Um, but yeah, something to think about. Mm. I think cancer is something we always are really scared about. Yeah. Um, and I have to say that actually, if we have a thousand women with heavy periods, cancer will be the cause of the heavy periods in one of them. So it's 0.11% um, of women will have cancer of the lining of the womb. So that's endometrial cancer. So it's very rare. Mm. Um, I think the things that we will talk about today, though, very common causes of heavy periods um, will be fibroids. Um, So that's where you've got um, a thickening of a part of the muscle of the lining of the womb. Um, and then I think endometriosis we're definitely going to cover. Mm-hmm. And then also something called dysfunctional uterine bleeding, DUB. It's basically a diagnosis of exclusion. So when you've excluded that there's no anatomical cause or no kind of cause with the, um, your thyroid or clotting disorders, those kind of things, then we call it um, dysfunctional uterine bleeding. It generally means that the lining's just quite thick um, and that's why you're having a heavier period. Um, so I think, well, yeah, they're the things that we're really going to, to focus on today. Yeah, cool. All right, so let's kick off with fibroids. Um, so it's a thickening of the muscle, the lining of the uterus, and there's lots yeah. of different categories of this. I don't yeah. want to get into the, the anatomical changes, but I remember it uh, from general practice training, all the different types and stuff and how we grade them uh, on ultrasound. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, why don't we just uh, kick off with, with fibroids? Sure. So So, I mean, about 70% of women will actually have a fibroid at some point in their life, but only about 25% will be symptomatic. 70%? I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's really common. And so we we have lots of patients who come um, and have ultrasound scans, which is the way that we find fibroids. And, you know, you'll say, okay, there's a little fibroid there. And you ask them about their periods and whether they have any problems with kind of pressure symptoms. And most, a lot of people don't. Mm. So... Yes, fibroids can cause what we call pressure symptoms. So if they're very large, they can press on the bladder or the bowel or make you feel very sort of full and bloated. They have to be quite big um, for that. When I'm saying quite big, the kind of people that I'm talking about are my patients who have fibroids about 10, 15 centimetres in size. Um, Loads of people will have very tiny ones, about, you know, one, two centimetres, and they shouldn't be causing those kind of symptoms. But uh, you can also get problems with bleeding. So fibroids that, particularly the ones that press into the cavity or are really in the in the wall, they can increase the vascularity, so increase the blood flow to the womb, and also they can increase the surface area of the womb. So there's basically more lining to shed. So that's one of the reasons why they, they tend to cause heavier bleeding. Yeah. They tend to be more common in um, black Afro-Caribbean women, and we don't really know why. Um, It's probably a genetic thing, but um, 
there's lots of you know lots of theories but no one is really sure if you have a family history then that also is a strong predictor of, of having fibroids yeah I've had plenty of patients actually that come in, in their 20s and they have big fibroids yeah. the ones that you can just feel on examination and you know we grade it according to uh, weeks of pregnancy yeah. um, uh, in, in the clinic and stuff and, and, and yeah and they unfortunately have to be uh, surgically removed and, and there's there's lots of options for women out there yeah absolutely yeah so we can um, we can operate on them um, but there are also lots of medical treatments that can be used um, generally around managing the symptoms though um, it's very difficult to really shrink a really really huge fibroid um, there are ways that you can block off the blood supply but they're not really recommended um, if the fibroid is very very large mm. um, or if you're planning on having children in the future that yeah. can be a problem um, but there are lots of ways that you can manage the symptoms without having surgery yeah yeah. Symptom management comes down to uh, trying to reduce the uh, heaviness of the periods, mm-hmm. the pain that can be associated with fibroids yeah. as well. Um, and there's lots of options that you can actually go to for your general practitioner and uh, gynecologist as well if you're referred, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so all the kind of lifestyle um, things that we're going to be talking about today can absolutely be used in combination with all the kind of conventional um, medicines. And I'd really encourage that because I think that there are lots of things that you can do with diet and lifestyle, but... But ultimately, I think that you have to use conventional medicine as well. I don't think that you can really completely cure everything by just changing your lifestyle, but you can definitely optimise things a lot. There's definitely, I think, a case for using it together as yeah. adjuncts really because I mean I do a lot of work in any now and the last thing I'm going to be doing as a first uh, in- intervention is t- trying to tell them to change their diet mm. I'm going to be trying to get their pain under control trying to get the bleeding under control trying to make sure that they've got uh, clear uh, referral pathways mm. in place so when they go home there's definitely an action plan but then also complementing that it's let's look at your diet and lifestyle are there things that we can optimise that can reduce the uh, frequency of symptoms and the progression of the condition as well. Absolutely. And we're really open-minded to these kind of things as well, because if you're changing your diet and lifestyle, it's going to have an effect on your general health, um, a positive effect that is, as well as um, hopefully helping your gynecological problems. So we're definitely keen for you to try lots yeah. of different things that we're going to talk about now. And there's a crossover with the diet and lifestyle uh, changes that we would recommend yeah. with Uh, endometriosis as well right? Yeah absolutely so I think endometriosis is something that is getting a lot of interest in the media um, these days and I'm really glad about that because it is a big problem lots of women suffer with endometriosis it's between um, 1 in 10 to yeah yeah. 1 in 7 so endometriosis is a condition where the lining of the womb so the endometrium um, that's the bit that you shed when you have your period it grows outside of the womb so it can grow on the pelvic organ so it can grow on the bowel, the bladder, um, liver, um, and also on the skin of the um, of the pelvis. So mm. that's the peritoneum, and it tends to cause pain. So endometriosis itself doesn't strictly speaking cause heavy periods but we see a much higher rate of endometriosis in women who have heavy periods and one of the reasons why we think that's the case is because we think it may be caused by what we call retrograde menstruation so that means when you're having a very heavy period the blood flows out backwards through the tubes 
Now, it's important to say that that can actually happen even when you're not having a heavy period. It's completely normal. But some people think that that's how the lining gets outside and kind of like seeds into the pelvis. There's lots of other theories about um, lots of immune theories, mm. um, lots of genetic theories, and we still don't really know. And that's kind of one of the frustrating things about yeah. a lot of conditions in women's health is that we don't really know how it works. I remember having these conversations with women in clinic, actually, because like you said, it is so common these days. And it's mm. diagnosed usually with a constellation of symptoms and on laparoscopy, which mm. is where you put the port in, you have a look inside the peritoneal cavity. Um, but uh, it, it's very frustrating for women when I say, I can't tell you exactly why this mm. happens. There are lots of theories, genetics, um, uh, something to do with um, uh, inflammation, perhaps. Maybe there is an immune component as well, yeah. which is related to inflammation, oxidative stress. But uh, there are lots of ways in which we can manage this as Absolutely. well with lifestyle and conventional treatment. Yeah. So. But I think another thing that's quite important to mention is that it's never your fault if you get any of these conditions, because mm. there are lots of lifestyle factors that have been associated with them but I don't want anyone to feel that they've done this to themselves because it's it's lots of things that come together that cause these diseases absolutely. it's not just one so mm. if anyone's listening and is worried that that's absolutely not your fault yeah definitely so let's talk about the uh, lifestyle measures because I know you've done tons of research <laughs> yeah. into you know other things that you can do out of sheer demand I think a lot oh, yeah, of our definitely. patients are just like you know what else can I do I've tried the drugs I've tried the uh, oral contraceptive pill I've had the surgery even because yeah. there's, there's um, sorry, we didn't talk about the surgical interventions, right? Yeah, so with endometriosis, you can remove the um, the tissue that's that's there in the pelvis. So it can be there and it reacts to the female hormones throughout the cycle in the same way that the lining would inside the womb. So it builds up, becomes thicker and then sheds. But when it sheds, it doesn't have anywhere to go. And blood is really, really irritating to the peritoneum, to the, the lining inside your tummy. Mm. Um, and so it can cause really, really painful periods. But endometriosis doesn't just cause pain during your period. Mm. It can cause pain all throughout the month. And that's because eventually you can get quite a lot of inflammation building up from this irritation. Um, and it can cause scar tissue. So you can get scarring that can, for example, stick the bowel to the wall of the um of the pelvis or um, it can stick your bowel to your womb or your bladder things just don't move as freely as they uh, they might normally and that's one of the reasons it causes a lot of pain during sex mm -hmm. and I think it's really important to get that message out there that it's not normal to have really severe pain during intercourse and a lot of women feel really embarrassed to go and talk to their doctor yeah. so that's one message I really want to get out there that it don't feel ashamed it's mm. actually a very classic feature yeah not all pain during sex is endometriosis but it definitely is suggestive in a lot of cases so um, please don't feel shy and also um, sorry if you feel embarrassed when we ask you that in clinic yeah. but it is actually one of the things that we really want to know I was about. just going to say that actually because I have to uh, ask the question uh, which is sometimes very embarrassing for the patient in front of me you know do you when you have intercourse is mm. it painful how long is it painful for has this been going on for a while yeah. and these aren't you know, uh, questions that we're asking purely to embarrass you. There yeah. actually, there's actually a clinical reason behind it, and it's really important. It's a really important symptom that not a lot of people are confident enough to talk about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
So we can do surgery to remove that scar mm. tissue and to remove that um, sort of endometrium that's not supposed to be there. Um, but we do know that there are quite high rates of recurrence with this kind of surgery. So that's why it's quite good to try and implement some kind of lifestyle changes if you mm. think that they might be relevant. Um, and so certainly I get asked a lot in clinic about diet mm. and endometriosis um, and also fibroids. Um, so I think you put a question out on your Instagram stories yeah. um, yesterday to just get some idea of what people wanted to know. And I think quite a few people were asking you about dairy and gluten in yeah. particular. Yeah, definitely. So I think that, um, well, there's not really any studies to show that, um, for example, going gluten free mm. is a successful intervention to decrease pain mm -hmm. um, when it comes to endometriosis. Um, I know a lot of um, gynecologists that do actually encourage it. Um, and I think that, you know, the theory definitely is there. Because if you've got a lot of inflammation in the bowel, um, and then it's kind of pressing on all the tissues in the pelvis, potentially there's a bit of scar tissue and it causes a bit of pulling and tethering, mm -hmm. that could definitely be a problem. And mm -hmm. so therefore going gluten-free might help. Mm -hmm. um, some people think there's a crossover between the population of women that have endometriosis and celiac disease. Um, so This then, is an interesting association there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, so that's also a potential of why there might be an association. But I also meet lots of people who say, I've gone gluten-free and it's done absolutely nothing mm. for me. Mm. So I think really the thing is to just try it. Yeah. Um, and so when you're eliminating things from your diet, I often think it's best to just try one thing at a time because mm -hmm. it might, not, you know, you're not going, if you cut everything out, yeah, like dairy, just, sugar, gluten, yeah. you won't know which one it is yeah. and you might not need to cut them all out. Yeah. And, and you might you just, not have anything like, uh, you might have no effect and the stress yeah. that that's caused you is probably been for nothing. So, exactly, yeah. exactly. And then you just end up on this really restrictive diet that's not doing anything for you. So... I definitely think it's worth trying um, and with anything where you're trying to have an impact on kind of hormonal issues you need to give it a good three months really to mm. see if it's having an effect but if it doesn't have an effect please don't feel that you're doing anything wrong by mm. eating gluten again because it just didn't work for you so don't don't feel guilty about that because I do feel a lot of patients do feel guilty because like, I'm really trying but it's just not working absolutely yeah I think it's important to you know uh, speak to someone get some guidance whether it's from your general practitioner or a registered dietitian or nutritionist um, and there are lots of uh, gluten-free alternatives that are in the whole form so one thing that I've decided to get back into is polenta I absolutely love mm. polenta it's amazing such a good versatile okay, ingredient so we can Very watch easy. out for some good polenta recipes yeah, from you. yeah. there's also amaranth and there's quinoa and there's buckwheat uh, and there's other uh, additions to your diet that can give you really good source of fiber really good source of phytonutrients that we'll be talking about in a second um, whilst removing gluten and it's not for everyone i think that's important to know you've made that point i'm really glad you said the f word fiber <laughs> <laughs> because that is so important yeah so um when we're talking about endometriosis fibroids and just generally heavy periods mm. they're all quite estrogen dependent conditions now i hate demonizing estrogen because estrogen does so many good things for us I in our know. body. Yeah. Estrogen actually like helps your brain function. Yeah. Um, it's useful for muscle strength, um, bone strength, so important. Yeah. Um, heart health as well. But the thing is, when you have lots of estrogen, particularly on its own, so unopposed estrogen, that will make the lining thicken. And it's been shown to increase the growth of fibroids and endometriosis because we know after the menopause, when you have very low estrogen, fibroids tend to shrink and endometriosis tends to not cause such a problem. Mm. Um, but fibre is one of the ways in which you can actually rid your body 
body of all the junk estrogen that it's done with. So you get rid of estrogen by pooing it out. And I've said the P word, sorry. <laughs> Don't be apologising. We're using the P word as a so, very natural activity that yeah, we all have absolutely. to do probably more often. Exactly. So <laughs> it's so important to get rid of it in your bowel. Mm. Um, and also lots of uh, foods that contain lots of fibre will also contain lots of good um, plant-based nutrients, so phytonutrients that we love talking about, mm. um, that actually help your liver to detox um, mm. the excess estrogen, the old estrogen that it needs to get rid of. And mm. then it will um, break it down and again, you'll poop it out. Mm. So that's so important. And also... Again, talking about poo. So you're thinking, gynecologist <laughs> talking about poo. This is totally the wrong hole. <laughs> but it's not. Most of us don't drink enough water. Okay. So Rupi and I are being very good boys and girls. And we've got our water next to us, which we're sipping throughout this podcast. Yeah. Um, but yeah. We being, did just caffeinate. <laughs> we did. <laughs> but yeah, no, we are drinking. Yeah. So it's so important to make sure that you're having lots of water to make sure that you don't get constipated. If you're constipated, your bowel is just full and then again it can press in the pelvis cause um, aggravation of any sort of endometriosis that's there mm. if you've got big fibroids as well that are already taking up lots of space having a full bowel again capacity overflowing yeah so it's really, all about really space really... in that cavity you know exactly. it's just yeah exactly. simple physics but you know i i examine so many patients every day and I can feel that they need to have a really good poo. Mm. And I ask them, are you constipated? And they say no. Um, so I think that it is just this general concept that we're not having enough um, fluids, we're not having enough fibre, and we've become kind of used to being, not constipated, but maybe just used to not emptying our bowel yeah. quite properly. So um, if you're not getting your kind of two litres of water a day, I think that's something you need to think about. Also, to digress, because yes. I know I get asked this a lot. Uh-huh colonic irrigation have you come across any patients that have used this method to remove themselves of the poo in um, their bowels <laughs> well I think that's kind of like if you're super super constipated um, but what I would say is that you can't cheat the system mm. so I'm telling you that you need to go for a good poo so you can get rid of all your um, old estrogen by having colonic irrigation is not going to go along the same physiology so yeah. you're not getting the same pathways um, so I don't think it would be as effective um, at clearing out all the old estrogen. There's no studies to do that, and I hope no one's ever going to do that. <laughs> I, I'm I'm not a fan of colonic irrigation. No. I really don't think it's something, and I, I it's something I see uh, the worried well, and I, I hate using that term, but the worried well mm. use um, out of fear. I yeah. think a lot of cases, and they generally have fairly good diets they drink lots of water they have lots of fiber um and like you said i think that's a very good way you put it cheating the system you can't cheat the system no. um there's so no poo hacks here there's no poo hacks and you'd be washing <laughs> away that huge microbiome as well and all yeah, the good definitely. stuff that they're doing so yeah not a fan okay sorry no. digress <laughs> and um so you touched on the microbiome which obviously is one of our favorite topics mm-hmm. uh, i think we have to remember that we actually um make lots of estrogen in the gut and that's not a bad thing um, but you need that healthy bacteria in your gut to be making sure that you've got good um, healthy estrogen turnover so good healthy production as well as getting rid of it um, and so that's why I think we need to make sure that we are getting all those healthy fibres into our diet um, so fibres with um, lots of prebiotic um, properties that are going to really feed that healthy gut bacteria yeah chicory artichokes garlic leeks 
Yeah, Jewish exactly. All that good stuff. Mm. Yeah, um, and then yeah, going down our um, favourite phytonutrient um, <laughs> yeah. little line of talking. What, what I will do actually on the uh, show notes, um, uh, theroctorskitchen.com, is actually. Uh, do a diagram of the liver detoxification mm. pathway um, so you can Love see there's two main stages yes yeah. and all the different nutrients that we're about to talk about and the ones that we have talked about uh, including fibre it will show you really just why this is actually helping mm-hmm. uh, your main uh, estrogen recycling or estrogen detoxification system um, in, it will improving its function yeah. um, so it actually gives you because there's no such thing as like you introduce something and it detoxifies your body mm. your body is your only detoxification mechanism Mechanism, other than when if you go to A and E and you had to have something like a charcoal yeah. uh, for to to ingest them uh, to uh, uh, pull out some uh, pollutants that you've ingested. If you had purpose. an overdose or something, for exactly. Example, yeah. yeah, that's the only way you'd ingest anything that would literally detoxify your body. Your liver's doing, your kidneys doing, your skin's doing it. Mm. So that's really important to note. Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, on the phytonutrient. Um, topic. There's a quite interesting study that was published this year, actually, in a really respected journal called Human Reproduction. Um, And so what they were doing was looking at fruit and vegetable consumption and risk of endometriosis. Um, So this was actually um, really, really interesting. What they found was that if you um, had a higher fruit intake in particular, so fruit more than vegetable, you actually had a decreased risk of developing endometriosis. Wow. And this study to me is so important because I think that we've become quite scared of eating fruit. Mm. And I think it's not helped by lots of posts that I see on social media and online Mm. with, you know, pictures of fruit next to cubes of sugar. Yeah. Of course, fruit has sugar in, but it's not the same as, you know, having sugar in a cake or Mm. something really processed there's so much goodness in fruit that we're missing out on Mm. um, if we're not eating it Um, and so in particular the study mentioned um, that they thought that potentially citrus fruits were actually the most protective Um, and that's because they contain a compound called beta cryptoxanthin Mm, say that very well (laughs) beta cryptoxanthin Um, And so this is just kind of like a real reminder that there's so many nutrients in fruits that actually really help our bodies. Mm. Um, You know, our bodies are just massive chemical processes and all these chemical processes need help from um, all the vitamins and minerals and all the phytonutrients. So um, I think that study was really important. Uh, And I think that we do need to remember that fruit is a healthy component in our diet. I think that people are getting much better at um, getting lots of veggies in, but I think that most of us could probably add an extra piece of fruit every day or something. Absolutely, yeah. You've got the carotenoids in there and also the fibre constitutes as well. So apple, I think, is one of my favourite fruits because it has pectin, it's got quercetin, it's got all the different other phytonutrients as well. But that fibre is super important. Definitely. When you have it in its whole form, you're not really just having the sugar, you're actually having a whole wonderful set of ingredients that are going to be giving so many different benefits to your body, not only your liver, not only your your gut system, but the fibre and and Mm. actually your might help with estrogen too yeah absolutely. oh sorry yeah we we're talking about estrogen dominance and how yeah. it's being like um uh, uh vilified almost mm. uh, 
ask a menopausal woman about a, a woman about symptoms and you'll realize why estrogen is so important yeah definitely. dryness skin cognitive uh, abilities mental fatigue yeah, sleep. Uh, bone sleep uh thermoregulation i mean it, the list is endless so estrogen is very important is the podcast excess. four there isn't it yeah i, know. <laughs> I think there is yeah, i'm getting loads of questions about that actually so we'll have to we'll have to say that for another one yeah. but um yeah no it's super important and i think it's the balance of everything i think that's kind of like a metaphor for most things we talk about on the pod whether it be sugar whether it be uh, the amount of meat in your diet for example it's all about balance and we have these incredible innate homeostatic mechanisms that when you introduce more whole unprocessed foods into just knows how to look after itself yeah absolutely and I think as well that you know there's not one compound that's going to do all of these things mm. it's all about getting it as a whole food and again you can't cheat the system um, and so that brings me on to talking about resveratrol which is another one of our favourite phytonutrients and this is something uh, one of the compounds I used to um, research in the lab back yeah. in the day when I did my phytonutrient research with Professor Karen Brown she was one of the people who was in the group. Um, yeah. I didn't work directly under her, but um, she is a girl boss of I'm phytonutrients. I'm a fan. I'm a massive fan. So I'm doing my uh, uh, master's in nutritional medicine at the University of Surrey right now, and she gave an entire lecture on resveratrol. Yeah. Um, and she's fantastic. I love. It. I mean, she's also known for the the work on curcumin and yeah. turmeric and stuff yeah. like that. So um, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. So if you're wondering what resveratrol is, um, it's a it's basically a red compound. Um, that you tend to find in very high um, concentration in grape skins. And so it's in wine. So this is one of the reasons why lots of people say, okay, well, I'm drinking my wine and that's really healthy. Um, a lot of people who have endometriosis tell me that drinking wine really, really aggravates their endometriosis. Um, so some people say it's because of the sugar. Um, a lot of people say also because of the sulfites mm. um, that are in, in wine, which is, tends to be higher, I think, in white wine than red wine. Mm. Um, but so, yeah, resveratrol, a lot of people have said, can be really helpful um, because it's an aromatase inhibitor. So aromatase is the enzyme that converts testosterone into estrogen. Mm -hmm. So if you're not making an, as much estrogen, mm. then potentially you might be um, helping with your estrogen um, dominant um, problems. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have enough resveratrol to actually act as an aromatase inhibitor, you'd have to drink 20 glasses of wine per day. I remember this from her lecture and just, just So thinking, it's a lot. Okay, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah not great. Um, but the concept's pretty interesting. So then could you potentially um, take a supplement? Mm -hmm. And they are available. Um, but thankfully, somebody has kindly done a randomised control trial for us. Um, and they looked at using resveratrol um, in a randomised control trial to reduce pain mm. from endometriosis. Um, but actually, so they had half their group of 44 women having a resveratrol supplement and half had a placebo. They didn't actually find any sig significant difference in pain scores in the two groups. Mm -hmm. So it does suggest that maybe it doesn't actually work. Yeah, um, was pain the only outcome that we're looking at? Yeah, or? just looking yeah. at pain. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's not something that you could try and get in your diet. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't have to just be found in wine. <laughs> yeah. Also, you could have the grapes just on their own, but it's yeah. also found in things like blueberries, mm. um, pistachio nuts, which I'm obsessed with at the moment. Oh, I didn't realise they were in pistachio yeah, nuts. Yeah, oh, pistachio fantastic. nuts. Even the humble peanut. 
Nice. So, yeah. I mean, just, you know, just ideas. So this is, you know, really our whole concept, isn't it? That you can't just pick out one compound, Mm. but if you can try and get lots of these little bits in your diet, then, you know, potentially might be having having a good effect. Absolutely. And if you listen back to uh, our earliest podcast, we talked all about phytonutrients, where you get them from, and actually it's about the incredible array the matrix of different thousands Mm. of different compounds that you find in whole foods rather than supplementing individual ones although there might be some benefits in certain situations the one that comes to mind is curcumin for um, osteoarthritis and different forms of arthritis actually uh, which is some really interesting stuff on the subject of aromatase Mm. uh, I've come across loads of uh, people suggesting that when you spike your insulin Mm -hmm. maybe from high sugar diets Mm -hmm. maybe from uh, other constitutes of the diet you increase your aromatase activity yeah, which is do. responsible for testosterone being converted to estrogen therefore creating an imbalance in your estrogen yeah yeah that happens and that is also one of the kind of problems with PCOS mm. with insulin um, dysregulation so again have a listen to our second podcast um, but yeah I think that's kind of one of the reasons why we also do need to think about making sure that we've got a good constant um, level of insulin not having lots of big spikes that's mm. why you know I, I don't like saying don't have any sugar but yeah. you know I think if you're thinking about you want to have a snack you know go for something that's not going to really spike your insulin if you're of course it's fine every now and then but every day mm. if you're doing that then that's going to to really have an impact yeah i see the most effects that i've had with lifestyle interventions for pcos in particular mm. um and, and i'm sure it would have the same with endometriosis although i haven't had personal experience with it um just by removing a lot of the refined sugary products that yeah. a lot of people have in their diet unnoticed to them actually they won't realise that you know there's that biscuit and I always have that around 11 or you know uh, a mid afternoon snack I'll yeah. just go out and get a croissant or something like that when you actually not remove those completely from your, your diet in totality but replace those with some healthier options that actually spike your sugar levels less reduce your insulin uh, levels uh, create a lot more balance you actually improve a lot of your symptoms yeah absolutely and that's why it's good to find those kind of snacks that are going to do all that kind of thing dairy and red meat this yeah. is something I, I get asked a lot about you certainly get asked a lot about definitely yeah so okay guys don't shoot the messenger <laughs> okay but there have been some really good studies um, looking at dairy consumption and endometriosis. And in particular in the um, in the US, there's this cohort of nurses who've been studied for years um, and they've looked at a lot of reproductive outcomes in those women. And what they found was that people who did actually have frequent dairy intake had a reduced risk of developing endometriosis. Now, it's thought that actually it's because they're getting lots of vitamin D in their diet from mm. dairy. And I think that that's one of the really big um, benefits of having having dairy foods is that you're getting plenty of vitamin D. Mm. Now, at the moment, it's grey drizzly day. It's December. Yeah, yeah it's December. <laughs> uh, it's probably not December when you listen to this. Yeah. But, you know, over the winter months, when we're not getting a lot of sunlight in the UK, everybody should be having a vitamin D supplement. Um, I've been using one of those spray ones these days and oh, I just put yeah. it next to my toothbrush. So I use it in the morning. And that's actually helping me take it a lot more. Last yeah. year, I was trying to take the tablets and I just kept forgetting. Yeah. Um, but Compliance I think it's, is a massive issue in my Oh, yeah, clearly, well, as yeah. demonstrated by myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean... It's so important because vitamin D 
is a lot of people talk about it in terms of um, reducing the number of colds that you get over the winter. Mm. But actually, vitamin D plays a huge role in the immune system, mm. um, particularly with endometriosis, as I kind of um, suggested before, that there probably is a big immune role. Mm. And we see low vitamin D levels in lots of women with endometriosis. Mm. Now, I just, to be honest with you, I just feel like most of my patients are vitamin D deficient. And yeah. obviously, you know, I work in, in the hospital. I don't work in the GP surgery. So I'm seeing the real, real tip of the iceberg. Mm. I'm seeing the people with, you know, lots of really quite serious problems often. Um, so I think that my impression is a little bit skewed, mm. but it is important that we all get it in our diet um, and take a supplement in the winter. Mm. So I think, yeah, the, the dairy thing, I think that that could be like a whole podcast series. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> um, But I think it's just important to remember that it does have some very good um, things in it and certainly vitamin D is one of them. Absolutely. I think uh, it's really important to, to be uh, mindful of how different ingredients affect different people and I mm. think uh, that's a super interesting study. I think there's probably a whole cohort of people who would say you know, dairy was uh, flaring my endometrial yeah. up or I felt worse on it so it really depends on you as a person. I think vitamin D I'm no longer surprised when I see uh, low vitamin D's on, on blood results these days. Yeah. It's just so rife and, and that's coming from a general practice point of view um, and no wonder it's now become part of national guidance during the winter months to supplement with vitamin D3 um, and you can get more guidance on that on the NHS website as well. But, yeah, definitely. Um, super important. It's a, it's, it's not even a vitamin, it's a master hormone that yeah. regulates so many different genes and it's involved in immune uh, um, uh, resilience as well. So it's um, really important. Yeah, super important. So um, make sure you're taking that. Um, yeah, red meat as well, you touched upon. Mm. And um, very kindly, the US Nurses Study has published some more data for <laughs> us this year. Um, so this is a study that was in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology. So, um, you know, this is the big guns here. Mm. Um, and it was a study looking at um, the amount of meat and fish that people were consuming and their risk of developing endometriosis. Um, and they found actually that there was a slightly higher risk in people who had lots of red meat. Um, so they found that chicken, fish and eggs were not associated with a higher risk. And what they suggested is that potentially if you had lots of red meat, you had lower levels of sex hormone binding globulin, which is SHBG. And that is a carrier for oestrogen. So what it does is it mops up all your free oestrogen. And when oestrogen's free, it has a much higher activity level. Um, so that was the suggestion from that um, study. Mm. And I think it's quite interesting because I think something that you've always um, said and what you've actually really taught me is that it's all about quality over quantity. Mm. So I think that most of us could do with reducing our red meat intake, particularly there's lots of environmental arguments for that. But also um, it seems like it does have an effect um, on a molecular level of what's going on in your body. Um, so potentially if you've got problems with um, endometriosis or even estrogen dependent conditions, like heavy periods and fibroids, mm. maybe reducing the amount of red meat you having um, might actually have an impact. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think there's so many different ways in which you can look at a particular subject and dissect it down into the molecular pathways yeah. that might be triggering it. Because I know like 
at the same time, there'll be a lot of people that would be recommended to have red meat in yeah. their diet because they're having uh, low iron, they're exactly. having heavy periods, they're feeling fatigued and stuff. And I think, again, it's about taking a step back, and we'll talk about iron in a second, but it's about taking a step back and actually figuring out why is this person having low iron? Mm-hmm. Is it purely from the periods? And is simple iron replacement therapy going to be the best option? Do we need to look at other aspects of the diet? Yeah. And just going back into red meat, you know, there are lots of uh, uh, different reasons why red meat for certain people might not be the most beneficial thing it can reduce uh, it can increase inflammation mm-hmm. um, perhaps uh, uh, mediated through the effects of the microbiome mm-hmm. um, uh, certainly having lots of heme iron might have a pro-oxidative uh, effect because mm-hmm. iron unfortunately in its unbound form is oxidant it's an mm-hmm. oxidant which is why it's always protein bound in a large majority of cases um, and uh, the processing of certain red meats as well contain other additives to them yeah. which can irritate the gut lining which can worsen inflammation and there's a whole bunch of other effects on the liver as well that we don't probably have to have time to go into yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah so those are things to just to bear in mind and I think that's an important point that you've made, actually, because there are lots of potential mechanisms, but there aren't really any good studies to actually support any exactly. of these. So a lot of people might think, well, you know, they're just like extrapolating the data. Um, but the thing is that there isn't... people just haven't done the studies it doesn't mean the evidence isn't there I think there just hasn't been a lot of interest necessarily in looking into these mechanisms and I'm sure that they are there um, if and when we hopefully do the studies yeah hopefully yeah Yeah. so if anyone's got a spare couple of million and they want to fund (laughs) some studies then just uh Go to gynegeek.com. <laughs> yeah, doing research is not cheap, unfortunately. No. I've got loads of ideas, so if anyone wants to fund them. Yeah. Nutritional deficiencies. Yeah. So B vitamins, magnesium, mm-hmm. zinc. Are these things that you've come across in the literature that might be fueling things like fibroids and endometriosis? Yeah, absolutely. But the thing is, there's not really kind of one nutrient or one vitamin that really stands out. Mm. Um And so it's a bit of a tricky one when it comes to, again, supplementation, which is why I think that, you know, we really need to put the focus at the moment until we get that evidence on everything generally coming through the diet. Absolutely. Um, But we did sort of touch on iron. And this is something that's really, really common if Mm. you're having heavy periods. And actually, iron deficiency is the commonest nutrient deficiency worldwide. Mm, mm. Um, So if you're bleeding a lot, you're essentially getting rid of lots of iron that your body might not be ready to get rid of Um, and so that's why um, heavy periods tend to be associated with anemia Mm. so anemia is where you have low levels of haemoglobin and and that's one of the components of your red blood cells um, for which you need iron Um, a lot of people are really worried that they're anemic um, if they are tired when they have their periods it's quite common to get feel quite tired during those few days but it's often not specifically due to anemia Mm. if you're just tired when you have your period it's actually more likely to be the fact that you're low in estrogen which is normal when you have your period Um, but yeah that causes tiredness and again that kind of ties into what we were saying about in the menopause Mm. when you can feel very tired and that again is the lack of the estrogen 
If you're kind of generally feeling very tired throughout the month um, and some people get sort of shortness of breath or feel very fatigued when they're exercising, that can be um, a sign of anemia. Mm. Um, But I don't think everyone should just be kind of blanket um, supplementing with iron because there are other nutrients that you can become deficient in that can also cause anemia. Um, So your GP should be checking um, what we call hematinics. So that's the iron, but also the um, vitamin um, B12 and also folate. Mm. They are also vitamins um, and minerals that can contribute um, to anemia um, Mm. that your body needs to make the red blood cells. Absolutely, yeah. There's there's so many different uh, things that you can present with with iron deficiency and unfortunately it does overlap with so many other things. So when anyone comes in with tiredness all the time or TATT, (laughs) just what uh, every GP will see mm. every single day of their clinic. Um, you know, we're going to be thinking yes about iron, particularly in the case of a woman who has got um, heavy bleeding or any menstruating woman, actually. Uh, but also thyroid deficiencies, nutrient deficiencies, vitamin D deficiencies. Um, if there's any other correlation with anything else that they've got going on as well, I always tend to look for um, more clues as to why they might be iron deficient. Mm. So, is it just the lack of iron? In mm-hmm. fact, a lot of cases. Um, women are quite replete in iron Mm. and if you were to remove uh, red meat from it you'd still maintain quite high levels of Mm. iron so what else is going on Um, and and I find uh, the absorption of iron may be limited by a number of different things Definitely, some some interesting stuff I I did a paper as part of my masters in nutritional medicine a couple of months ago now on post-bariatric outcomes so bariatric surgery is where you use a restrictive or malabsorptive procedure you essentially remove part of the uh, early part of your small intestine Mm -hmm. Um, and that part as well as part of the stomach is responsible for where you actually absorb iron so these post-bariatric surgery these are the surgery you do for obese uh, patients um, can actually lead to some quite severe nutritional deficiencies Mm. including iron so replacing just iron isn't the way to go you actually sometimes need to inject it and if you've got gut inflammation Mm. uh, or inflammation that is uh, affecting your absorption of iron blindly just taking iron supplements is not going to do anything. No. You actually need to get to the root cause of why you're having poor iron absorption. And yeah, in a lot of cases, inflammation can be, can be fueling that. Yeah, and also, so if you've got inflammation going on in the gut, then that can certainly impact on the um, gut microbiome as well. Um, And so there's a pretty interesting study of um, women in India who Mm. were iron deficient, and they actually found that they had a very different um, gut microbiome, and particularly they had less um, lactobacillus species in their gut compared to women who weren't iron deficient. Um, So I think, yeah, there's lots of things that we need to think about. It's not just simply supplementing with with iron. With iron, yeah. Yeah. I think anything that will fuel um, inflammation and it could be stress, uh, uh, both uh, physical and emotional, yeah. um, high sugar diets, unfortunately, the excess of sugar rather than just sugar in the diet at all. Um, those are things that we need to look out for, I think, more. And when people improve their diet and improve their lifestyle as a whole, um, you see some quite incredible stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, our producers are, are <laughs> hurrying us along. So we have to talk about exercise, really. We could just talk about here all day about all the different aspects of this. Yeah, but you can't send me away with letting me not talk about exercise. No, really. no, go on. Let's talk about exercise. So, okay, <laughs> exercise. Um, 
I think this is something that's really important and a lot of people kind of um, don't appreciate how important exercise can be for um, good gynecological health. Um, And there are some studies that have shown that um, frequent exercise um, can be really helpful for endometriosis um, pain. Um, But also there was a really good study, again, in the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology, um, which was a meta-analysis of looking at physical activity as a potential intervention for period pain. So this is something that pretty much applies to everyone. I mean, I don't know any woman that's never had period pain before. Mm-hmm. Um, some people can just get it for a couple of hours. Some people it can be something that really affects them for several days. Um, but this study basically included 11 randomised control trials where they used different exercise interventions wow. and they found that it significantly decreased the intensity of the pain during their periods and also the duration of it. Um, so then lots of people subsequently asked me, well, what's the best exercise? Yeah, yeah, that was literally my next question. <laughs> no one really knows because all the studies use something different. Like some used um, walking, some used yoga, some used dance. I think the real, you know... My best advice would be do what you enjoy, because if it's an arduous task to go and do exercise, then you're not going to do it. Mm. So, yeah, pick what you enjoy. I really don't think it's going to make a difference. Mm. No one's really sure what the mechanisms are. Um, It might be that it increases the blood supply um, and therefore you get rid of the compounds that are there that cause the pain. Ah, Uh, But also another quite interesting concept is that when you exercise, you actually increase your sex hormone binding globulin. Mm. So then you've got less free floating estrogen. Mm -hmm. Um, So that may be one of the reasons. But I think ultimately it doesn't really matter what the mechanism is. (laughs) You're doing something that's actually having a positive positive impact on your periods but also your general health, general health exactly. um, but it's really important to say you should be doing it all month mm-hmm. it's not it's not something you can be like okay i've got period pain i'm going to do exercise yeah. that also might help mm. but um really the studies were looking at this intervention throughout the month to to decrease the amount of pain um, and it's also been shown to um decrease um, pms symptoms which again are a massive problem for lots of women um, so something that you might think is quite removed can actually really have an impact on your gynecological health. Absolutely. I like the sound of dancing, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah definitely. Just shake it out. Going there. Yeah, just shake it out. Um, no, there's some super interesting uh, research actually looking at the impact on inflammation pathways with yeah, exercise definitely. in general. So there's probably like loads of other ways in which you could dissect it. But like you said, it's going to be good for your women's health and for overall health as well. So yeah, and I think you're going to cover encourage. that in another podcast, aren't you? Yeah, so, yeah. I'm going to um, speak to Dr. John about that because he's got a specialist interest in exercise medicine and he... Yeah. Look at the mitochondrial pathways as well as uh, IL six, which is an inflammatory cytokine, and how that has an impact uh, with exercise and all different types as well. So it's really about moving uh, as much as possible. Yeah, definitely, and just do what you like, do what you enjoy. <laughs> There'll be more information on the show notes at thedoctorskitchen.com. Um, but thank you so much, Anita, no for coming problem. in. Thanks it's for been having awesome. me again. <laughs> I really hope that's given you a greater understanding of what exactly endometriosis is and why diet and lifestyle has such an important part when it comes to looking after overall health as well as health particularly to do with endometriosis. Go check out Gyne Geek Anita Mitra at her website. The links are in the show notes. Make sure you follow her on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and make sure you order a copy of her book. It's absolutely phenomenal. I cannot recommend The Gyne Geek, your no-nonsense guide to down there healthcare. It is absolutely fantastic. And I know women up and down the country will benefit from reading it. And whilst you're in Amazon, you can 
pre-order my book, The Doctor's Kitchen, Eat to Be Illness, where I talk about the intersection of lifestyle and nutrition to lots of different health subjects, whether it's skin health, immunity, brain health. I know you're going to absolutely love learning about the principles of healthy eating as well as living. And if I could recommend one recipe to sum up today's episode, it would be the Greek-style giant beans that are going to be in the new book. They're absolutely delicious. They're Greek-style, so it's kind of like a play on Gigantes Planky. There's lots of greens in there. There's lots of uh, beans, obviously, giant beans. There's, it's all in a, a delicious Mediterranean-style tomato sauce. Super easy to make and absolutely delicious. You'll love the picture of this one as well. I'm looking at it right now, and I remember making it for the photo shoot, and it was super, super delicious. Everyone wanted a piece of it. Make sure you follow us at thedoctorskitchen.com, subscribe to the newsletter, pre-order the book, and give us a five-star rating, please. It really does help people find this information and support the podcast. See you next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.